Hello and welcome to the Antifada, where unrest is best and communism is for lovers. That's right. It's fucking Valentine's Day. Didn't even think about that in reference to this episode until like yesterday. Um, but you know, that's that's how it goes in, in radio, in not in non-live radio. Um, I am here with friend of the show. Many time guest Aaron Thorpe. What's up? What's up, Jamie? Uh, I was gonna say I actually forgot today was Valentine's Day. I forgot yesterday was the Super Bowl. I forgot today was Valentine's Day. I I never knew that yesterday was the Super Bowl. <laughs> uh, I did know today was Valentine's Day because I actually have plans, but uh, didn't really think about oh like oh I should make a special Valentine's Day episode or something. Yeah, that's just uh, you know. I guess that's on me. Yeah. Well, I mean, we uh we might have some uh we might have some V Day themed content, maybe you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I got uh at least one relationship question yeah. that perhaps we shall answer at the end, or maybe for a bonus yeah. if it, the time works out that way, because you know we're both very qualified to talk about relationships. Clearly. I <laughs> am a divorced woman. <laughs> I feel like that qualifies me on some level. You are a. I am. Um, uh, I probably cycle through at least three relationships within like three years. You know, like uh, so I'm definitely one to talk about stable uh, relationships. I'm qualified on that front. All right, great. And you know, we also we care a lot. We want only the best for our listeners. So that is a yeah. pretty big qualification. Yes, yeah, I would though, yeah. say. Uh-huh. Um, but also it was the Super Bowl. Yes. There was there was a Super Bowl, apparently. I don't know what the sports teams were. The Bengals I... <clears throat> the Bengals and the Rams. The uh Cincinnati Bengals, Cincinnati Bengals and the uh, LA Rams were the two teams. All right. Good to know. Aaron with the facts. <laughs> no, nah, no, nah, I was gonna ask you, Jamie, do you are you into sports like at all? I'm what not. do you think? <laughs> no, I mean, like me, I'm not at all. I am not at all. Well, that's okay, because uh, the discourse is not revolving around the ins and outs of the game, as per usual, it is the ads and the halftime show, mm-hmm. and I feel like there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of rich discourse to work with here, but um, I wanted to start out by asking if you saw the ad that Larry David made for cryptocurrency, which are two things I never thought I would say in the yeah. same sentence. Yeah, I. Uh, it's kind of like, uh, uh, what's his name? Um, Eric Andre doing a uh, doing a crypto. He did something oh, recently. The as NFTs. Well. Yeah, the NFT fucking stuff. NFTs. He's yeah. getting roasted yeah. for that. Yeah, yeah. By his own fans, which is fucking hilarious. But you, I guess, like you know, Larry David. I guess I would expect that. But no, I didn't see the ad. I did see someone say that it was really good. It was it was actually painful that he's so entertaining and funny because the commercial is actually funny. And I haven't seen it. It's just what I heard from someone else. But um, yeah. it's still painful that Larry David is a. Uh, you know, all the celebrities that you like, man, they're all uh, succumbing to the, uh, they're all hawking crypto, you know what I mean? Like, they've got hooked on, like, the crypto drug, man, you know? Are they invested in it? Is that what the deal is? Is that what's going on? I mean, I guess, like, I mean, I don't, <clears throat> I guess some of them are invested in it and, like, minting their own NFTs and shit, but I think maybe they just get, 
They just get like obscene amounts of money to do this shit, man. Well, let me let me show you the. I think we need to watch it right now. Okay, this is the trailer. Okay, let me show you the, the ad. ad. Oh, you see it? Yeah. I Did see you it. see it? Yeah, I saw it. Uh, so like, oh, yeah, this bothers me because, like you said, it is pretty funny mm-hmm. until you get to the part about crypto. Now, unless he's like heavily invested in it, I. I really do not believe that Larry David even understands what cryptocurrency is. Like, yeah. I think he just wanted to make a funny ad. And yeah. like, he turns down, I was reading about this. Like he turns down, he doesn't usually do ads. I think this might be the first one he's ever done. Mm-hmm. And he turns them down if he doesn't like the idea, if he doesn't think it's a funny, good idea. Cause he's like, you know, he's a comedian. His primary, yeah. his primary mission, his primary area of expertise is like making funny shit. Mm-hmm. right so like i guess he saw the the idea for the ad and he was like oh yeah that's some funny shit but you know hashtag doom uh is for cryptocurrency so there you go i mean it's just like you know uh the fact that all these celebrities are like trying to sell like normal average people on this like you know the system of fictitious capital you know and like truly just investing in something that's eventually going to like pop, you know, and fuck over ordinary people doing this shit. It's just, I mean, how much money are you? I mean, because I don't even understand NFTs, right? But like how much do they understand versus how much are they getting paid to do it versus like, like you said, Larry David just maybe thought it was a funny commercial, you know, he's not thinking about the ramifications of NFTs on the environment and the economy. He's just like, oh, this is funny, you know. But it's uh, it's definitely bleak and disappointing, man. Yeah. True. True. Uh, your faves, your faves <laughs> once again. Who knew that Larry David would do something problematic? Yeah, Larry David. Yeah, the rich asshole who makes who has a show about being a rich asshole based on his life would uh would actually prove to be a rich asshole. Yeah. Uh, it's so <laughs> I really do love Curb Your Enthusiasm too. Like I've been rewatching it lately, and it's funny as shit. It's, no, it's amazing. On some level. I mean, this is going to be contra- I mean, it's all going to be controversial because I'm sure there's going to be people who are like, Seinfeld's not funny mm. or only white people like it or, you know, something <laughs> like that. But uh, I think it's pretty funny. But like, I don't expect the people making the things that make me laugh to be like, you know, as politically aware as I am, I suppose, or whatever that's worth. Uh, I yeah. do. I will say he seems like a nicer person in real life than he is on tv like for sure i think this character on the show is him playing like an exaggerated version of himself but he actually seems like i mean like a pretty chill funny guy and like i think herb is like funny as shit man i don't like seinfeld i was kind of laughing you were when you were saying like uh seinfeld is a show that only white people magic could watch because i've made jokes like that but I can appreciate a Jerry Seinfeld sneaker collection for sure. And I think Curb is pretty, I think Curb is pretty funny, man. Curb is a funny show. Larry David seems cool. It's I, my favorite episodes are when him and Richard Lewis are on together and they're just like yelling at each other. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Because that is how old cranky Jews bond with their loved ones. That's just, it's very, it it speaks to my experience. Uh, I, it's also it's just funny he's like you fucking idiot blah blah yeah. blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You but they, don't, idiot. they don't hate each other it's just their love language man yeah, yeah. no like this is why this is why i can't always get down with people from the west coast because they're too they're they're just like they're cringe they're cringe all the time like i was talking about this with a friend of mine 
who is, you know, on the apps. And I guess he went to L.A. and he was on the apps there, too. And he was like, you realize when you go to L.A., like even quote unquote normies Mm. in New York City still have like a bit of a cynical edge to them, Mm. a bit of, you know, a bit of sarcasm, a bit whatever. And then you go to L.A. and everyone's Tinder profile is like, I love nature and my dog. Please come share my life with me. And it's like, ugh, can it's we not? It's like disgustingly sincere and sweet. Uh, yeah. No thanks. <laughs> uh, uh, nothing. Like, nah, I'm good. I'm good on that. Oh, but um, I will say he's, he did have some like tepid words of support for Bernie mm. a while back, which well, aren't made they me happy. Like, aren't they like distant cousins or something, man? Yeah, they are, yeah. which is not surprising. Yeah, although not, that is <laughs> not funny. surprising at all. It's funny. <laughs> <laughs> he said he said to Stephen Colbert when you know he was playing Bernie on SNL and Bernie was still in the running mm. if Bernie wins he said it'll be great for the country terrible for me because you know he doesn't want to have to keep flying to New York to play Bernie on yeah. SNL oh but shit then a little, yeah yeah because yeah. he was playing Bernie yeah yeah uh, but then a little while later you know maybe the Bernie thing had gone ooh, a little too far a little too close for comfort uh, and also, like, the campaign was just legitimately flagging in April when he said yeah. uh, he he curbed his, his enthusiasm for Bernie, shall we say, uh, <laughs> saying that he should drop out and everyone needed to just get behind Biden at that point. And I was yeah. like, all right. But we know the real reason. All right. He already he already laid his cards on the table. Like, it, I think he just did not want to have to keep flying back and forth. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not at all. Was it his class interest, you know, uh, being uh, did he have to consider that at all? Maybe. Could you imagine a phone call between Larry David, like calling Bernie to tell him to drop out? Oh, my God. (laughs) Can we can we get some can we hire some comedians to do that exchange? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. To do it for us. I'm I'm (laughs) going to be really, really bad at it Um, because, you know, like you're killing me here. You're killing me here. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'd be pretty know. bad too. Oh, yeah. Shit. Um, uh, what yeah. else? There's what else? there's more yeah. to do with the Super Bowl. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. There was. Did, uh, did you know? Did you uh, know that the halftime show was sexual anarchy? Yes, I, I did. According to uh, according to Charlie Kirk. Yeah. So, <laughs> I was a little confused by this because you know last I heard. The right was mad that Eminem wasn't sexy enough, and now he's too sexy. It's like it's like make up your mind, guys. Yeah. What kind of Eminem do you like? Oh, I did. I did see that. Uh, I mean, there was a general right wing, like you know, culture war over it. Uh, that was a joke about the green Eminem, by the way. I feel uh, like I did a bad job. Oh, the uh, the, uh, <laughs> the, uh, the 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 green Eminem that Ben Shapiro was lusting over. Is that what? Yeah, like Tucker Carlson's like, what's ha- what's what's this world coming to? You can't even want to fuck the green Eminem anymore. And now they're like, Eminem, put your clothes on. It's like oh, Eminem's shit. getting a lot of mixed messages from Damn. the far right. And yep. I'm going to ruin this joke by explaining <laughs> actually, it. Actually, Jamie, no, that was actually, I get it now. Eminem, the, okay, that was actually pretty funny. Th- thanks. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll I'll take your pity laugh. <laughs> no, that was a pity laugh. On the X plane, that was actually pretty funny. Damn. Um, but yeah, uh, what was I going to say? But yeah, I saw. I mean, generally, you know, they were all going crazy about this halftime show. I saw one person saying that it wasn't diverse enough. Uh, I mean, these are like batshit just comments I'm seeing on Twitter. But 
I didn't think it was funny that Candace Owens, um, I thought this was interesting. Candace Owens enjoyed the halftime show and like, you know, she obviously like, it's just, just because she's black, right. Doesn't mean that she has to enjoy black music. I mean, given her conservative reactionary views, you know, cultural views, I was surprised that she actually fucking enjoyed it, you know, but yeah. But, just goes to show you your cultural tastes don't necessarily mean anything exactly exactly I, absolutely um and uh yeah man i thought it was uh i thought it was pretty it's pretty it was it's like every year the super bowl the halftime show is another like kind of test to see how insane the culture war has gotten you know like it's at a fever pitch right now yeah, yeah. well Charlie Kirk was upset, but then people from both the left and the right were dunking on him, including fucking Piers Morgan, who's not usually right about anything. So I'm like, oh, I guess maybe hip hop has been fully recuperated into the uh, the capitalist spectacle. And uh, now it's seen as passe to uh, to make it to make it a political thing out of it to make a big deal. I don't know. I mean, what do you think about all the. All the woke gestures that we saw at the Super Bowl this year. We saw, um, I guess, Eminem. He took a yeah. knee despite the NFL asking him not to. Yeah. Um, but then the FNL, the, the NFL needs to make up its mind, right? Because mm-hmm. didn't they didn't they put end racism in the end zone? Yeah. So didn't there was, they? There was didn't an they end, end racism in the end zone? <laughs> well, it was in the Rams end zone, so I guess that means if the Rams got a touchdown, then racism would be over. And, you know, if the Bengals got a touchdown, then racism is not over. I don't know. I mean, like, apparently it was there all season. And I just think, like, I'm not going to lie. When I saw the Eminem kneeling, like, you know, um, during the thing, I was like, okay. And he was asked not to. I was like, okay, I guess that's cool. But, I mean, you know, we've already seen, like, this kneeling thing. I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to, like, say that Colin Kaepernick obviously didn't, like, sacrifice, like, his job and, you know, all this shit, but he's with Nike now, like he's good. But generally, it's like, yo, Eminem, you agree to perform for this, like, for the NFL, which you know is rife with systemic racism, and you still agreed to perform there, knowing that you were going to take the knee. And the NFL themselves, I think, a spokesperson said that they couldn't stop him, I guess, from doing it. So it's just like all performative and aesthetic, and just kind of like <sighs> insulting, insulting too that the stadium apparently was um there was this uh student loan refinancing company that spent like 625 million to put its name on the ram stadium and oh also that neighborhood is like you know th- going through a process of gentrification so it's just all these contradictions you know it's it's kind of mm. hard to uh to look at it and not be like yeah the capitalist class has recuperated this whole entire movement you know okay but yeah, look yeah. aaron <laughs> yeah did you know <laughs> that the super bowl has committed million over the course of 10 years to end systemic racism? That's like pocket change for the bit. That's insane. That's like couch change. Yeah. Well, I looked at the the press release, and it's interesting because they knew that people were going to be asking about Colin Kaepernick, right? Uh, Like, uh. isn't this the same organization that just blackballed Colin Kaepernick Mm -hmm. for doing a Black Lives Matter protest back before Black Lives Matter had been totally recuperated by uh by capital right and the press release does give him some kind of lip service and it's like and we're open to working with him somehow at some point 
Um, Not going to give him the job back, but yeah. Yeah, I would be very surprised if that happened. But, you know, fucking maybe if there's enough... uh, if they think it behooves them financially more to do it than to not do it, then sure. they probably would. Um, also, I looked at where the money is going, and uh, it seems a lot of it is going to organizations that work on uh, criminal justice reform, which, as we know, doesn't do anything to uh, stop the cops from doing their job, which is to obviously enforce uh property relations and race relations especially in this country uh oh it's also going to big brothers and big sisters and the united negro college fund and just a lot of nice bourgeois you know nonprofit institutions that you know maybe best case scenario might help manage the effects Mm -hmm. of systemic racism but they do not get at the root causes yeah that's that's my hot take on that yeah no same agreed and it's like it's this very individualistic while it's a very individualistic take on like you know a systemic issue um at the same time colin kaepernick and you know i'm not out here to defend him because again like he's you know been recuperated as well like he's with nike but you know it's funny that him kneeling or eminem kneeling is an individual individualistic step too far right like we we can't we can't allow people to actually like you know um, express these express these views or whatever. But what we can do is throw some couch change, you know, at these NGOs and shit like that. They're not yeah. actually going to tackle the problem. So exactly as you said, Jamie, it's kind of like just a. I mean, it's just a culture war on both sides, right? It's exhausting, man. It's pretty. Yeah. 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 I had more things to say about this, and I forgot. Oh. Mm-hmm. Um, Oh, yeah. I mean, at base, like, let's look at what football is, right? Isn't it kind of an amoral blood sport that profits massively off of these athletes who, you know, might get paid a lot for a few years, but then in the long term, they are not taken care of. And like studies show this uh, for a lot of former football players, this can cause permanent brain damage that fucks them up for life. Uh, Not to mention that the uh, NCAA players do not get paid. Mm-hmm. They just get scholarships to, you know, I guess they're supposed to balance balance their studies with their uh, much more important non-paid job of playing football. Uh, can, I, can I just mention, too, that they're like playing at a near professional level? Like they have their likeness like reproduced on like video games and shit like that in video games. But they don't like as far as I know, I'm, I don't think there might have been some kind of move move towards like at least having them have some kind of ownership over like their likeness or at least having some kind of like freedom or autonomy. But generally, yeah, they're completely exploited, man, while uh, getting brain damage, you know. Uh, I mean, it really feels a little bit like uh, the Roman Colosseum or some shit. Like (laughs) we're going to take a few people from an underprivileged background and hey, if you can fight this tiger... You're going to get a million dollars. You'll be set for a few years. You might also get mauled by the tiger and die, but like, exactly. hey, you know, that's, it's your choice. It's their choice. It's like, it's like Squid Game, you know? Yeah. It's, it's like this fiction. Yeah. Yeah. No, I wanted to say too, it's like, you know, I do like, I do think that like, you know, I'm wondering the socialist or communist society, right? Like obviously sports would exist, right? But like the NFL, we're talking about like, I'm not, I don't want to be a killjoy, like let people enjoy sports, right? But the NFL is like, like, you know, as we're saying, I, I think, do, you know, <laughs> <Speak> for yourself. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, at the same time, like this is incredibly exploitative. You know what I mean? I mean, it's incredibly, incredibly exploitative, like industry where like, yeah, these players are damaging their bodies at like 40, by the time they get like 40 something, you know what I'm saying? They have degenerative brain disease where it's like, you know, they end up dying at an incredibly young age. I mean, that fucking sucks. Like, I think we can enjoy sports without having people beat the shit out of one another for like a short term, you know, profit. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, there are some things that, we would still have uh, in a nice communist world and there are some things we wouldn't have and i feel like the number of people that are willing to sign up for that just for fun yeah because they like it would probably go down and it perhaps might be distributed a little more uh a little more equally across the board yeah shall we say like i don't think it's a coincidence that most of the people who decide to take this deal are black yeah or disproportionately so yeah. uh mm. like it really just feels like another way that uh that race and class they mix together yeah yeah, uh, yeah. oh but we have this mm. article from the atlantic mm. that uh th- this nice liberal investigation is it patronizing to say that football players are exploited because you know we're all just free agents making contractual agreements freely between ourselves and the bosses yeah. on an equal playing field with no other concerns involved. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah. is it patronizing to say that workers are exploited under capitalism? That's, that's an insane way to put it. Right. Because like the, under- they're choosing to go to work every day, you know, they yeah. can always choose to fucking starve to death. Yeah, it's like it's like what they're saying is like, well, you're undermining like the autonomy of the worker to choose to go to work. You're making it sound like they're weak enough to like be, you know what I'm saying, to be forced and coerced to go to work. That's obviously not the case. Jesus Christ, man. Yeah, yeah. I put a link there, but you might not want to click on it. I think it's just gonna be depressing. It's frustrating. Jesus, man. Yeah, yeah. Well. You know, maybe maybe we'll end racism next year. We'll try yeah, again. Yeah, we'll we'll uh, maybe we'll the Atlanta Hawks uh, or not the Hawks, the Falcons. See, that's how much I don't know about uh, about football, but man, but yeah, maybe the Falcons will get to the Super Bowl and uh, we can end racism in Atlanta. No, it's actually going to yeah. be in another. I forget what state next year, but yeah, we uh, always got a shot next year. You know? It's also funny to me whenever they say systemic racism, mm. because what systems are they talking about? Yeah, absolutely. What are they? What are they, the systems? What are the structures? They never say them. Maybe it's time to name some names. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no, they're, they're not going to do that. No, they're never going to do that. It would implicate oh. them too much. Uh, yeah. Yep. So what else we got? We got, oh, Okay, so we've had a little bit of intergenerational conflict. Uh, I don't know if you've been party to this, but apparently Hmm. Gen Xers and Millennials are fighting online about who the Super Bowl halftime nostalgia show was pandering to the most. Does that or does that not give you hope for the future of humanity specifically the humans approximately the same age as us so, so wait with so the artists where the artists were what 50 cent dr dre mary j blige eminem and uh i forget who else kendrick lamar don't kendrick, forget kendrick, kendrick lamar. lamar was there as well right which i guess is a uh 
I guess that's a point for the millennial team. Um, I mean, why can't it be? First of all, the whole generational divide is like war shit is bullshit. Obviously, I think this is like propaganda on the part of the capitalist class to like divide people by you know uh, generation age. That's insane. But I mean, why can't it just be both? You know, like there's like an overlap. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Me and my sister are like close enough in age, or she's Gen X, where we can enjoy the same music like she's not like my fucking parents' age you know what i mean mm-hmm. so that's that's complete bullshit yeah no it's very silly uh but it did remind me of an article that you wrote in your Substack. i'm gonna put a link to it for everyone who wants to read it um i thought it was pretty good uh it was all about nostalgia and you tie in this sort of cultural obsession with nostalgia that we're seeing um with Mark Fisher's idea of capitalist realism, which is to say just the the idea that another world is not possible. This is this is what's what it's always been like. This is what it's always going to be like. And the the foreclosure of other options, uh, whether we're talking about the fall of the Soviet Union certainly contributed to that. Uh just like the, the the transition into neoliberal hell world that we're living in now. Um, and you make an interesting point, which is to say we're not just nostalgic for the past, which, you know, is definitely a thing in and of itself, right? Everyone's like, oh, remember when we were children and it was the 90s <laughs> and things didn't seem so fucked up yeah. or before the recession, before the pandemic yeah, or, you know, it's just like a few fucking seconds ago with the right things are going. Um, people aren't just nostalgic for a different time, but for the lost possibility of a better future. And I'm going to quote you now mm. where you say, What haunts us isn't merely an imagined idyllic time before global market crashes, terrorism, and the constant interconnectedness of a digital online world, but what may have been if the creep and then acceleration of neoliberalism and its consequential crises was frustrated by an alternative. Uh, if If it wasn't frustrated by an alternative. Yeah, something like that. Inundated and obsessed with the past and locked into a dismal present, we long for lost futures. I mean, just like everything, as you said, Jamie, it's like, you know, we don't just like long for the past. But as you're saying, like an alternative, right, whether that was like since the fall of the Soviet Union. Um, And I think a lot of that, like nostalgia is specifically like, as you were saying, again, like pre-recession nostalgia before 9-11-2008 crash before like, you know, Web 2.0 It uh. You know, the Super Bowl last night, I think that's just another kind of like that's just something else indicative, right, of this like 2000s kind of craze that we're going through, which I don't know. It's uh, I don't know if you know that the 90s show is coming out, right? Um, and Wait, what uh, the 90s show from the makers of the 70s show. This is a oh god, yeah, oh geez. So I just want to make this point. I, I hate that so much. <laughs> I want to make this point because I think it was like interesting the way that like I kind of talk about in the piece, but the way that like capitalism fucks with time is like when the '70s show came out, the '70s were as far away in time as the '90s are now, right? Like so it was like give or take, like they're about the same span of time, right? Mm. That we are in the '90s now, but it really, really does feel like. Like, I'm kind of like, yo, the 90s were, they seem so much, like, it is. It seems like longer ago, but also a shorter amount of time. You know what I mean? Like, time has been condensed. 
You know what I'm saying? Like, it's really weird, man. It's really weird that culture now is cycling back to the 90s. And I'm like, dude, like, that's that's within my lifetime, you know? So, uh, uh yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's kind of what I, you know, try to get into in the piece as well. So, uh, yeah, man, nostalgia is uh, it's very insidious. It's a hell of a drug. <laughs> it's a hell of a drug. Oh, yeah, yeah. It really is. I mean, is there any way that we can make it work for us? Because, I mean, okay, both... Both the right populist and left populist candidates, to use a very well-known example, <laughs> in the last go-round, 20... What the fuck year is it? 2016, was it? With the, no, I guess 2020 with the... Oh, my God. Kill me. Uh, was it a... Yeah, you know, when, yeah. The, when the guys were running for president. That's yes, that, yes. that year. Uh, yes. <laughs> like, they were really both <laughs> calling back to uh to to the to the past right yeah. trump in his like maga ver- vision of make america great again uh which you know he doesn't talk about it but that was largely created by uh well okay you want to go back to world war ii world yeah. war ii job started the uh the growth the rate of profit that we were seeing such that you know labor unions were able to demand and win concessions in their in the workers favor and capital was able to able to accept that deal Mm -hmm. because profits were so high that there was enough to go around the bosses and the shareholders could still keep most of it but there was like the pie was growing so there was room to give a little more to the Mm -hmm. little guy Mm -hmm. and the labor unions you know they let them have their fun you know and they were more valuable as something that could be recuperated by capital as we saw, you know, in the end with the, the AFL-CIO doing some noted, notable anti-communist shit. You look mm-hmm. that up, folks, if you yeah. want, Google AFL-CIA. That'd be a good start. <laughs> um, but now, um, where am I going with this? Uh, yeah, the unions are fucking weak. So, yep. of course, workers aren't going to see as many gains. So, so Trump, Trump was calling back to this imaginary past, mm-hmm. right? But so was Bernie, on yes. some level when and like all of the electoral left, uh, whatever you want to call it, when they're like, we need to bring back um, social democracy. A new deal we need to bring type back, of thing. Yeah, we yeah, need to FDR. bring back. Uh, yeah, the Green New Deal, the New mm-hmm. Deal, but make it woke, make yeah. it green, yeah. make it uh, make it not racist and sexist like it was before. Make it good again. And um, I think that is also based on a bit of a fiction that we can recreate that economy with that rate of growth in the here and now. Um, so what I'm wondering is like, is there a third way? Is there, is there any, is there a good way or should, should I say a better way? Right. Because obviously given the two choices, I go with the left populist nostalgia over the right. But like, is there a way that we, the anti-capitalist left could harness nostalgia in a way that might actually help us move forward to the better future that has largely been foreclosed upon uh like like i don't know like remember when uh remember the 1930s when labor unions were really strong and integrated with the anti-capitalist left and then when the the battles heated up the union thugs would just fucking show up to the boss's house with guns and shit like that's the that's the maga that i want yeah 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 um you know i think i think that when I was writing the piece, you know, and I was thinking about this, I was like, I spent like 
10 pages complaining about how nostalgia is bad, but then I don't really have any solutions, right? And um, um, radical nostalgia, obviously, like what you're talking about, Jamie, is one of them is like kind of remembering like these resistance movements and um, these revolutions and struggles, right? And kind of calling upon, you know, these like struggles and times where it's like, especially now, where things seem really hopeless and bleak and remembering that like, nah, people have like always like struggled and there's always been resistance. But I also think at the same time, like nostalgia can still be insidious because even on the left, right? I think it tends to distort the sacrifices that people made then, you know, like it says to say like, yo, like people actually sacrificed like, you know, like blood, people died and lives to do this, you know, and it's not like a it's not like an easy thing to ask people today to like be willing to do that, although that is the reality. Um, but I think also like kind of more importantly, like nostalgia is like nostalgia is based upon culture, right? Like nostalgia kind of funnels through culture, right? And filters through culture. So like I think one of the most important things to kind of break out of nostalgia, right, is to kind of be innovative with culture, right? And I think for the left without getting too much into it, I want people, I think people should really um, look into Stuart Hall and read his short essay called Deconstructing the Popular, because he talks about culture as um, a dialectic, when he calls it the dialectic of the cultural struggle, which means that um, people should, people engage with media, right, when they interact with it, when they watch it, they don't just blindly accept um, these truisms and falsities about their lives, you know, people see things that resonate with themselves and their lives and they reject like falsehoods and i think that what the left needs to do is kind of seize upon these tensions you know and build like a culture that isn't just relying upon this whitewashed rosy past and that actually can create something new you know what i mean and i think that's i think that has to relate to today's struggles you know not just looking back at the past but what struggles what idiosyncratic like new unique struggles are people facing today and what stories can we kind of tell you know to like break out of this mold and cycle of recursion, you know, if I don't know yeah. if any of that made sense, but I hope that I hope that kind of like um, answered the question, you know? Yeah. yeah, no, I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, part of what uh, we're trying to do at Everybody Loves Communism, mm. what uh, <laughs> what you and I were doing yeah. and now what me and Jorge are doing and what you may and Jorge, may, you, me and Jorge may someday do together. Yes, yes depending what the future may bring, who knows, is uh, looking at the past, looking at history and looking at what the anti-capitalist left was doing and what the workers' movement was doing and seeing if there are lessons that are applicable to what we're facing now. Because I do think, you know, some of these basic relationships do not change as long as we have capitalism. Absolutely. You have bosses and you have workers and if we want to get power, the workers have to organize like that is still true. Yeah. Um, but we can also be smart about it and say, oh, here are the changing here. Here are some new material conditions. Here is what's going on now. Here's what the economy is doing. Here's what the fucking rate of profit is doing. Here's what the line's doing. Mm-hmm. Spoiler alert. <laughs> line goes down and, uh, you know, see see what we can do that's new from that yeah absolutely Um, but we gotta i mean we gotta we just have to take it all the way i think that is the that is the biggest lesson that i have taken so far from the struggles and failures of the 20th century in particular you know because 
you can reach a high watermark in terms of social democracy. You can reach uh, a point at which the life of the average worker is not that different from the life of the average boss. Mm. And still, that is going to be clawed back if the workers do not seize control over the economy. And time and again, um, whenever the workers tried to go too far, they were bought off with, uh, with money, with, with security, with benefits, and all those things are really, really good. But I think if you don't want people in the future to have to fight the exact same battles all over again and the same struggles and, you know, maybe put their lives on the line, um, we gotta, we gotta fucking take it all the way. And it seems like time's running out with, uh, just the crazy shit the economy's been doing (laughs) as neoliberalism goes into crisis the world over uh climate change obviously is putting a hard uh deadline that we didn't used to have so how do we do that that's a topic for many more podcasts come but You, you just reminded me jamie i was thinking uh you know, and this is an episode that we did um, when we talked about uh, Born in Flames, right? And how, mm, yeah, um, and actually kind of tying in too with like revolutionary culture, right? Or something that's sort of, um, um, I mean, kind of tries to invent like a kind of like um, a narrative at least that's uh, rooted in class struggle is that film where the social democracy, nominal socialist country is achieved in the United States, a socialist state. But of course, the hierarchy of you know of um, racism, sexism, right, classism, still right, all of these things still exist, right, and all of these like economic gains that have been made in this nonviolent revolution are being now clawed back by the bourgeois, right. So, I mean, kind of like you know, as we were both talking about, it's like kind of like remembering like where we failed and then being willing to do something new right whether i mean obviously with our tactics but i think that also translates to like culture and media you know um yeah because i mean we need a revolutionary culture man otherwise uh you know we can't just be uh handing out pamphlets on uh on street corners you know we need to need to rethink uh how we do that shit so yeah. yeah. Well, speaking of revolutionary culture, <laughs> um, a good I recently came across a very, uh, very woke statement from a company called REI. Yeah. You know, they're uh, they're co-op. All right. They want you to know that they're a woke co-op. Oh, wait. So um, they are a co-op, actually. OK. OK. So fact check. <laughs> they keep referring to themselves as a co-op. But it's not what you think when you hear that word. Like, okay. what do you think when you hear the word co-op? I mean, I think that, like, all of the workers own, like, a part and shares in the company and, like, the means of production. And they get to, like, whatever the profit that they make, they get to dole it out to themselves, right? And no, 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 no. This is a co-op of consumers. So I guess the way the <laughs> REI started. So wait, hold yeah. on. It's like having a Sam's Club or a BJ's membership card or some shit yeah, like that. Pretty, pretty much. <laughs> it started. Uh, some consumers were like, hey, we want to get better prices for our climbing gear. Let's all get together so we'll have more bargaining power and more purchasing power. And then, you know, as the company developed, it's like, oh, yes, all of the consumers have a stake in the company and they have some limited way of voting on what it does. But you know who doesn't? 
is the workers making the stuff. <laughs> so I don't think you get points for the C word if it doesn't include the workers. No, not at all. You just have a very active customer service, like, you know what I'm saying? Like system. That's all that it is. is you're just responsive to your consumers. That's it. Yeah, how is that different from normal capitalism? It's not at all, man. <laughs> That's so I don't funny. Know. What's going on with REI? So in late January, some workers at the Soho location in New York City of the REI store, they announced their intentions to form a union with the retail, wholesale, and department store union, RWDSU, very well-known union for retail workers. And it was the first ever campaign at this 87-year-old uh, consumer co-op, right? So, I mean, we know that retail workers have been some of the hardest hit during the pandemic. I actually have a friend anecdotally who works retail in Chicago and she got COVID at work and almost died after they, um, Mayor Lori Lightfoot came out and was like oh hey we talked to the scientists turns out that it's total the first safe day to open is um it's uh it's black friday so everybody go the fuck back to work and she did and she got covid and she almost fucking died as a healthy young person really horrible and that happened to a lot of retail workers didn't just happen to my friend so retail workers are really feeling it right now they're like i'm sick of risking my life for like fucking 10 bucks an hour yeah, or whatever absolutely. they're getting paid. So they're like, you know what? Let's do a union. Let's try to uh, exercise whatever's left of labor rights and uh, form a union to try to protect ourselves. And how do you think the company responded? Well, <laughs> um, they hired a union-busting law firm and started you know, doing these closed-door mandatory meetings where they were feeding workers this anti-union propaganda none of this is new right but what is new i think is this effort to paint it with this ridiculous veneer of wokeness mm. that seems almost like a parody of itself did you did you see this shit yeah what no what what, what do you mean like what lo like because wokeness the implication i guess with wokeness would be like i mean i guess it doesn't have to mean that unions are good so, yeah, what, what is it? Well, let me read to you from this podcast that they did. Oh, my now, God. Sidebar, I don't know who this podcast is supposed to be for. Is it an, so like, an anti-union podcast? I'm getting to that. All right. So <laughs> we start out with Wilma Wallace, who is the chief diversity and social impact officer of REI. All right. So she says... Hi, REI. My name is Wilma Wallace, and I serve as your Chief Diversity and Social Impact Officer. I use she, her pronouns, and I'm speaking to you today from the traditional <laughs> lands of the Ohlone people. So she does a little <laughs> land acknowledgement. She says, I'm, she does her pronouns. She says, I'm here chatting with Eric Arts, who serves the co-op. Again, not actually a co-op. And all of us as CEO and Eric, welcome. 
I know you emailed all the employees two weekends ago to let us know what was going on in Soho before we saw it in the news. And we know employees have lots of questions about what's going on. So just to recap for the audience, blah, 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 blah. We were notified by the National Labor Relations Board that the RWDSU had filed a petition for an election at our Soho store in New York. And since then, I'm sure you've heard from lots of employees across the co-op, the fake co-op. Maybe we can start by you sharing some of what you've heard. So Eric comes in also with a land acknowledgement. Wait, so, right, so Eric also acknowledges. So let me, let me get this straight. So they're both acknowledging. Not only does she start with uh, her pronouns um, and acknowledges where um, she's speaking, where from she's speaking to people in terms of like indigenous like territory. Um, but they're also telling you that you also cannot form a union. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. That's you so also rich. can't have the land back. But it's important to acknowledge that it happened. Exactly. Because that, you know, that makes it better. Um, So he Uh, comes on and he says, sure, Wilma, I want to be very clear about one thing. We fully support the rights of our employees to speak and act for what they believe. And that includes the right of our team in Soho to explore... You know, they're just experimenting yeah, yeah, like yeah. you do like you do in college, you know, like a little a little experimentation with your yeah. sexuality yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, before going back to being a company man uh, <laughs> to explore, pursue and ultimately vote on the question of unionization. It's their decision to make and we're going to respect their right in this process. Oh, great. Now that the podcast is over. Just kidding. They're going to keep going. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> look, look, Wilma, let me be clear. <laughs> me uh, I understand this is an issue where feelings run strong and I want everybody at the co-op to hear this. I'm going to stop using their word because that's that's also, our word. All right. You're doing cultural appropriation of workers. Also to the fact that he says that where feelings run strong as if this isn't like people speaking of like talking about their livelihood, you know what I'm saying? Or their ability to like feed themselves and clothe themselves, you know what I'm saying? And like live a life with dignity, you know? No, it's just we about their you, feelings. We hear you. You're valid. Exactly. Your feelings you're valid. are valid. Your feelings are valid. Oh, man. So, yeah, he goes on. The team in Soho are co-op i'm putting that in scare quotes all right every time because he says it a lot every time i say co-op just you know picture the scare quotes the team in soho are co-op employees first and foremost they're part of our co-op community today and they will be part of our community tomorrow no matter what we love you we love you no matter until what we even if you're throwing a temper asses, tantrum yeah. until we fire yeah. their asses yeah hey we love you so to your question of why, I'd like you to uh, share some, I'd like to share some thoughts really from two perspectives, from a co-op perspective. And I will also offer my opinion on why I do not believe a union will serve our REI employees best interests. All right. Love to hear it. Uh, let me start by saying unions are important and valuable and they play a vital role in supporting the rights of workers across many workplaces, companies and industries. In fact, well, just not this one, <laughs> not this one. Many of the workplace laws we now have in place can be traced back to union support. All right. Here's the to be sure paragraph. He's got to throw a little a little bone of credit to unions. Oh, now he goes for the personal. My father was a teacher in a teacher's union and led the union when I was a teenager. And I have experienced unions and other businesses and sectors that I have served. It's all about service. It's not about, you know, enriching yourself. It's so, like it's like the I had a the the um I have a black friend thing, but it's that instead my daddy was a union man. <laughs> like my daddy was a union man. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh 
And that's why I know that unions are not not good for you. Um, so, yeah. So when people ask why we don't support unions, my answer is simple. We do not oppose unions. It's that we don't believe. I do not believe that introducing a union is the right thing for REI. Of course, it's so funny how bosses always say that they support unions in general, just not at their specific company. Yeah. Like when he says that, yeah, unions are like good at other companies, but just not this one. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and it's for, you know, it's for those workers in the past who had to like go down into the mines and shit. You know, this is totally, totally different. I mean, that's what but, Elon Musk, Jamie, that's basically what Elon Musk said online. He, when he was like, oh, back in the day, you had to have unions, but now you have the access to the Internet and you have a platform, you know, like what? Yeah. Dude, okay, you didn't then, see that tweet. <laughs> no, but I believe you. He's such a he's such a douche. Yeah. And he. And he goes, and more specifically, I believe the presence of union representation will impact our ability to communicate and work directly with our employees and resolve concerns at the speed the world is moving. And that is the core of why we don't think that introducing a union is the right thing for our employees. So it's the speed, right? Unions slow things down. That's, that, that's, that's what's going on there. So then then he goes on. All right. I've got more quotes. He says, we would be required to only deal with the union on matters that impact our employees work life. And there's a legal process we have to follow to do so. Yeah. Great. What's the problem? He goes, I think it's already difficult because the legal process we are bound to follow in Soho until the vote occurs. Wait, blah, blah, blah. I cut some shit out because it was boring. He goes, again, I want to be very respectful. All right. Your feelings, your call is important to us. Your feelings are valid. A union may be what our employees ultimately decide they want, and that is their legal right. Fact. And as I said earlier, Wilma, you know I don't. We don't always get it right. But I do believe we try. Boo-hoo. And I was just thinking, you know, Wilma, time and again, employees have seen us take real action based on their ideas and their suggestions. Mm. In the earliest days of the pandemic, we closed our stores weeks earlier than any other businesses, blah, blah, blah. It's like, it's like, hey... Don't you trust us to take care of you workers? Like I'm so hurt that you wouldn't trust us to incorporate your suggestions. Not demands, as, but suggestions. As opposed to, yeah. I mean, I think the point of a union is suggestions have a little more force when they are demands and you can do like you have some, some leverage to hold over their heads if they don't take your quote unquote suggestions. Did, did you see that uh, Rubio had introduced this? I think you guys might have maybe talked about it on the show. I'm not sure if you did. Rubio introduced this uh, supposedly pro-worker uh, labor reform bill. Um, what? Which basically it poses... Oh, man, dude. So it, what it does is that... Uh, I mean, I'm just going to read from his website. Uh, Senator Marco Rubio introduced the Teamwork for Employees and Managers, which the acronym is TEAM, Act of 2022 which would provide workers seeking to organize with an alternative to unionization that allows both workers and managers to work together without fearing heavy-handed legal action or bureaucratic meddling from the NLRB. Uh, so basically the bill is pretty much a, it's like a board, it's like an organization or whatever that workers and um, employers can sit on, I guess, where Workers, as opposed to unionization, workers can give their input and suggestions, right, mm -hmm. to the company, right? 
So it's just like, mm. I mean, it's just like, of course, this even though it's coming from Rubio, this sounds like something that REI, which I'm assuming sees itself as a progressive or liberal company. I'm sure this is something they support, right? They're like, no, yeah, you can just I sit mean, down with management. You don't have to. You don't have to like unionize among yourselves. You know, you don't have to do that. No, oh, I mean, the man. thing this that that reminds me of is like all the fake Medicare for all plans that people came out with when you know to counter Bernie's real one. Oh yeah, like, like um, Medicare for all who wanted. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pete Buttigieg, you know, just trying to like muddy the waters and trick people into thinking that that is the thing that they want. They're like, oh, hey, no, we have unions at home, but unions at home are like, <laughs> it's <laughs> <this> like bullshit <laughs> company thing put out by Uber it's and like, Marco Rubio. It's like when you go to Family Dollar or some shit and you want like, you want like Lucky Charms, but they don't got Lucky Charms. They got like marshmallow babies or some shit like that. You know what I'm saying? Instead, it's like pirate, like pirate marshmallow hats and shit like that. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Like you just got to go for the dollar store version, man. You know, you can't get unions, but we got like union light, you know? Mm. <laughs> Mm-mm. Mm-mm. I, you know i mean the good thing is i don't think people are falling for it i oh, don't think nah. they fell for it so. then and i with with the medicare for all shit and i don't think that they are gonna fall for this now because just like look around you man yeah yeah especially like, like you're, in the midst look of the at your life exactly exactly like, i mean people and- see people they see their coworkers dying mm-hmm. and they're like hey we don't have any time to fuck around. Yeah. Yeah. And also like the job market, you know, with the great resignation and all that shit, like suddenly workers have a tiny bit more wiggle room and it's very, it's, it's always really inspiring to see them taking it and to take it in, you know, a collective way, because if everybody individually quits their jobs or refuses work that is dangerous, underpaid, hyper exploitative etc it's it, it's not going to do as much as if they all do it together in some kind of organized coordinated action you know we're stronger together folks absolutely i mean just look like at hillary her. clinton said <laughs> just like hillary said man and, you know honestly too like look at just uh starbucks right the starbucks unionization and like how quickly that that has happened right and like i mean all of these like worker struggles um i guess over the pandemic so it's like uh yeah man we don't need i mean i'm assuming or I'm not assuming, I know for a fact that like shit like this from REI and I know Starbucks too, apparently I didn't check it out, but apparently they, uh, they made an anti-union website as well, um, as part of mm-hmm. its, uh, propaganda. And, um, yeah, man, I could see more shit like this from companies like REI, Starbucks. And I mean, it's funny because it's the companies that again are seemingly progressive, right? Like they seemingly have these like very like Pacific Northwest sensibilities or like coastal sensibilities, you know, like they're all liberal, but it's like, nah, man. Well, exactly. They're all liberal. They're like, hell no, we don't want unions, man. You know? No. Yeah. No. Well, but we'll make it woke this- while doing it. So, yeah. What's, what's with this veneer of wokeness? Cause that feels a bit new to me. Like, yeah. uh, what do what do they think that's going to do? I mean, I guess it's like it's the same thing with the uprising, right? Like two years ago where you had like companies like Amazon that you had like, you know, or even look at the look at the, the January 6th, right? Where I think you had like Coca-Cola coming out and saying like, we believe in like, you know, this the civil exchange of power, like, you know what I'm saying? Or Chiquita. You know what I mean? Like these companies that have literally overthrown like workers movements and shit. So like, I guess they think that like, 
yeah, wokeness is like like we were talking about like with the Super Bowl, right? Like it's recuperated, right? Like recuperated, and they really mm-hmm. think that people are gonna buy it. And I don't, I think you're right. I don't think people are, but I mean, I know a lot of people that did buy like the the uh, co optation of the whole BLM movement uprising two summers ago. And I, <laughs> I know a lot of people who did, man. So I can't say that it doesn't work because I know it does. Yeah, yeah. And that's why they do it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we saw a little bit of this with the attacks on Bernie as well. All the people who are like, if you care about Medicare for all, you're a class reductionist and therefore racist. Mm. What you really need to be doing is uh, get up there like Elizabeth Warren and say that you're listening. You are able to acknowledge your mistakes when you did microaggressions. Mm. And uh, it's like... I can't even go on because it's such fucking, but Jamie, such fucking horse shit. Let me ask you a question though. Like, this is what I was thinking. You think that because we've seen like this, like we've seen this co-optation with like, um, and I don't mean to create like a you know a dichotomy between race and class, right? Because like obviously these things are like inextricably linked, right? But when it comes to the co-optation, like, do you think it's easier for these companies to do it on issues of race than it is when it comes to issues of class? Because, like I said, I saw the co-optation, the recuperation of the BLM shit. Like, I saw it work, right? Like, people that I know in my family, in my life. But I don't really see it working. Like, who are, first of all, who you're appealing to? You're appealing to, I feel like with the recuperation of, like, racial justice, you appeal to white people. But who are you appealing to with this, like, worker wokeness? Are you appealing to, like, workers? Like, it doesn't seem like it's as effective, you know? Yeah, I don't know. I will say... Like, I've seen some of my more, uh, shall we say, anti-woke friends who might bend the stick too far in the other direction uh, hold this up as an example of, like, see, even, like, well-intentioned intersectionality is so easily recuperated by capital and used against workers. And the only thing that can't be recuperated is class struggle. But we know that that's not true. That's true. I think fucking literally anything can be recuperated by capital it's so powerful i mean i just gestured at it earlier in the in the conversation just now like the way that unions were recuperated during the uh the the mccarthy era and became uh forces for anti-communism and you know to this day a lot of the traditional blue collar unions can be quite reactionary we're seeing it now with some of the uh some of the terrible, <laughs> terrible direct actions against, uh, you know, masks and vaccines and shit uh, like th- those things can also be recuperated. So it's it's not to say that there is something uniquely recuperable mm. about racial justice or about, you know, gender justice or what have you. Uh it's just to say, you know, that's the thing that people it's on people's minds right now. Yeah. So that's what they're going to fucking recuperate. I think if we see a more widespread growth of class struggle and unionism again uh, in this country, we will see efforts to recuperate that as well. Absolutely. And like, I, I mean, it's it's already happened. Right. Listen to any speech by fucking Joe Biden. And he talks yeah. the populist talk. He yeah. you know, he's Having like, Caesar I'm down Chavez. home with all these fucking yeah. workers. Yeah. Obama said he was going to be marching on picket lines. Like, yeah. fuck off. Yeah, I mean, Biden has like a, has like a bust of uh, Cesar Chavez, like you know, in the fucking White House. You know what I'm saying? 
like in his office. Yeah. So it's just like, yeah, you're absolutely right. Right. Like, I mean, and especially like as again, as like, you know, these worker struggles, like this movement continues, like, of course, you're going to be seeing like more recuperation, man. It's just again, it's just funny that like, you know, I mean, I wouldn't expect no less from a company like Starbucks, but, you know, just this veneer of wokeness that they give, you know what I mean? Like, it's just really funny that they're uh, they're some of the ones cracking down the hardest. Right. So, uh, yeah, yeah, man. It's so depressing. Yeah. But but that doesn't mean I mean important importantly that doesn't mean we should give up on any of these struggles. Hell right? no. Hell Just because no. capital is going to try to fucking recuperate that shit and use it against you. If anything, that means that you should push harder. Absolutely. Because yeah, it means, means they're concerned. Yeah. Yep. They're and concerned. so you know, yeah, this is all to say. We got to fucking intervene in the Super Bowl halftime show and push it to its <laughs> radical limit. Came full circle, man. Yeah. We got to uh, we got to reclaim it. Yeah. 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 Just like Beyonce did with her uh, her Black Panther. Remember that? She dressed up her backup dancers like the Black Panthers. Oh, yeah, the Black Panthers. Yeah. What was that like two years ago? Yeah. Jesus, man. A, I mean, who knows? Time is weird. But like. Jesus. That was definitely a thing that happened. And I remember at the time when I was like, you know, forced to have an opinion on it because I was a pop culture blogger mm. and my opinion was that it didn't matter at all. Mm. People got mad at me. They're like, yeah. how dare you? How dare you as a white person say that Beyonce's fucking backup dancers dressing up like black panthers don't matter. I'm like, matter. well, you know what? I, I could say the same thing to her. Because the Black Panthers were fucking communists, all yeah, right? They, she's appropriating communist culture for capital. She's a fucking capitalist. I mean, dude, they would agree that it doesn't matter, you know? And, like, yo, that's the thing, too, man, is that, like, dude, you can, yo, you can enjoy, like, I think that you can enjoy, like, someone's um, art or someone's skill if they're, uh, uh, like, uh, they play sports but like you can separate that from their politics. Like you could like Beyonce and not have to fucking make a case that her dressing up her backup dancers as like Black Panther extras is like something that's revolutionary because it's fucking not. But you can enjoy your music though. That's fine. Dude, you could like Eminem's music and also think that him kneeling was completely like performative and bullshit, which I think it was. I mean, cool dude, but like I like his music, you know, his politics don't really matter to me, man. Yeah. I mean, I I think it shows that people are just they're they're looking for something to grab onto. Yeah, absolutely. they're looking for anything to grab onto, and that's what they see. Yeah, because uh, you know we live in we live in the spectacle, and we live in hell, and you know, and like all of the real leftist movements with force behind them. A lot of them have been exhausted. The left as such, you know, it's trying. We're all trying. Okay. Yeah. But do I think we're forced to be reckoned with at this point? No. no. So on the one hand, I get it. It's like coming from a good place. You're like, oh, well, I got to, you know, it's better than nothing. No. But is it really though? <laughs> yeah. Is it really? And is it not also just kind of reductive too? Because like after a certain point, like, I mean, dude, like, I was thinking about it today, you know, I was like, wait, when did the whole Colin Kaepernick like thing start? Right. Like, I mean, that started years ago. Right. And motherfuckers have been kneeling like this entire time. And like, you know, people marched and we marched in the streets and people got like, you know, like uh, harassed by cops and shit. 
and the Democrats knelt in kente cloths, and Kamala Harris got elected, and Eric Adams got elected, and Joe Biden said he was going to give the cops for our money, and it's just kind of like, all of this shit is cumulative, and it's just like, god damn, dude, like, wow. You know, I was thinking about it, as the contradictions, like, kind of widen, and the material conditions get worse, the absurdities, like, they just get more and more intense, and, uh... I think uh, that's definitely expressed in this uh, recuperating of uh, radical ideas. But as you said, Jamie, that doesn't mean that we give up, man. Can't give up. That's always the dialectic. Can't give up, man. No, we can't. Unfortunately, unfortunately, we cannot give up. (laughs) Unfortunately, for those of us who are tired. Yeah, yeah. And we're not even that old yet. No, nah, man. I feel like I have so much respect for like the old guy at the DSA meeting. I mean, until until he gets up and starts saying crazy shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Until he uh until he says to the other brown person coming in there like, "You know there's another black guy here, right?" You know. Mm. Then I'm just kind of like, eh, eh, "Eh, but you know, mm. I still I still got respect for him, man. I mean, I feel like uh I feel like especially the fact that things are accelerating, you know, I feel like that's wearing on me and aging me faster mm-hmm. than I would like. Um, it really is. <laughs> and I mean, it's, I'm like, damn, man, I know that every age is like progressively, like it's progressively worse, but it feels like we're exponential at this point, man. So yeah. uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah. I'm kind of in the part of the cycle where I like, all right, I was doing too much organizing shit and now I've been burned out on it and I took a really long break mm-hmm. and kind of disengaged aside for some political ed work and now I'm like, oh, wow, I feel bad. I should really uh, find a project to jump back into. Oh, so dude, I'm me work- too. I'm working on it. I'm working on it right now. Oh, no, me too, man. I've, uh, you know, I've been feeling like guilty, you know, because I'm not organizing mm-hmm. and I'm like, man, where can I... Uh- where am I going to like plug back into man? So I feel you. Cause I mean, it's one thing to like, it's one thing to podcast and to talk about these things. Right. But like what makes me feel better and like I'm doing something is going out there and actually doing it, you know? Yeah. Um, Gotta do stuff. That's if there's one takeaway from this podcast that anyone ever has, it's that you've got to do stuff. And uh, unfortunately just listening to our podcast and giving us money I will admit doesn't necessarily count as doing stuff. Although I want you to do that too. <laughs> well, I mean, it goes back to what we, I mean, like we keep kind of cycling back to this theme of recuperation and co-optation and, uh, Mark Fisher, it's not his original term, but interpassivity, right? Like the idea that just because you consume radical content, doesn't mean that you're performing any radicalism or anti-capitalism, you know? So, uh, you know, hell yeah, man. Mm-hmm. I mean, support the, the people that you, you know, who, uh, entertain you and educate you but um speaking for myself as well like we all got to get out there and actually do something as well you know mm-hmm. yeah just do it just do, do the it. thing do the thing, do the man. right thing and what that means specifically mm-hmm. is doing the thing doing the i thing. know <laughs> i know spike lee did it he also did a fucking crypto ad Yo, by the way he? last night yeah oh, not God. last night he did it a while ago did you uh, see that no I mean, I'm not really surprised. See, but then I'm like, we kind of talked about it earlier, but I'm not really surprised, I guess, when like Larry David does crypto. Like Eric Andre was surprising, but it's just like, God, man, like it's like they're all getting brain worms. Like it's like a zombie movie or some shit, man. They're getting bit by like the the bored ape, you know? 
Uh, oh, wow. That's a horrible mental image. The boy is <laughs> going around biting celebrities and infecting. I mean, I think it's I think it's a little less cool and crazy than that. I think it's just called they're getting money. Oh, yeah. They're just. Yeah, they're just getting money. They probably not even. I mean, I know Eric Andre's investing, but I'm pretty sure like. I mean, uh, I mean, I guess they're investing too. I mean, why not? They have the money to do it. They don't. I'm sure they don't deal with it personally. I'm sure they have somebody. Their accountant. They got like a crypto accountant now. You know, who does that mm. shit for them? Mm. Oh. I don't know. I honestly, I, I will be interested to see what happens with Eric Andre because his fans are really turning on him over this. Yeah, he doesn't. Did you see that he had? I don't know if this was the most recent one, but he had a tweet where he was like, kind of mocking the people who. Um, still drive cars and eat meat and shit you know because he's saying you guys are hypocritical because you're saying that nfts are bad for the environment and for like you know um like for for working people regular people but you guys are hypocrites because you still drive cars and you eat meat you contribute to the you know uh mass industrialization of slaughter and shit it's like dude like okay, okay but like i'm also criticizing those things too even though i participate in them you are actually like deciding to mint an nft you know what i'm saying like if I need a car to get to work or some shit, I need a car. I'll try my best to not drive a car, but people, some people need to drive, you know? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, what are you talking about this choice of, like, eating meat or not eating meat? You're deciding to get into this. I don't know, man. It's just a well, it's sanctimonious he's, bullshit. He's conflating consumption with production. Yes, absolutely. Which is what, that, like, like, it does not, your individual choices of as a consumer do not matter. There Sorry, yeah. but on the side of production, uh, it matters a bit more who when you're deciding to produce these things and under which conditions they get produced and how they get produced. Like, that's literally why we're trying to take control of the economy away from, you know, billionaires and celebrities, I guess, and put it back in the, or put it for the first time in the hands of regular people. Cause like yeah maybe maybe the regular people wouldn't make better decisions than the uh, than the billionaires but at least at least they might. You know what I I think they would like David Graeber had a quote man he's like if he gave anybody the uh, the power to remake the world however they see fit uh, however they see fit um, he made a strong case and I think too that most people wouldn't make the world as it is today right. Like, the only people that would probably do that, and maybe not even some of them, but obviously in the real world they have the power to do this, are these billionaire sociopaths. Most people probably wouldn't do that, you know? So uh, mm-hmm. let them make their choices, man. Yeah. yeah. It's even even the dumb ones, like Larry David said, <laughs> get the right to vote. Exactly. And by vote, what we actually mean is have real control. Yeah. I'm not just we're not just talking about, you know, bourgeois democracy where you get to pull a lever like that's yeah. not going to do anything. Yeah. Probably. I mean, there's there, there's been a lot of discourse about voting, too, in the yeah. past week or so. I had to uh, <laughs> I had to talk about it on the Nomiki show. I was not prepared to do that because I've just been so unplugged since I stopped working at the majority report. These like little these little battles over. um the state legislature is controlled by Republicans and they're passing these laws that make it harder for people to vote. Mm. And on the one hand, I'm like, yes, it's bad that they're doing it. On the other hand, I'm like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do about that because what the Democrats usually say is you just need to vote and that'll stop them. And that demonstrably isn't happening. Yeah. I mean, uh, they don't... and like, go ahead, James. Is go ahead. bourgeois democracy worth saving or should we just sit back and let 
the two enemies of us being, you know, the center and the far right battle it out. I don't know. Yeah. You see, man, like it's like living in the South, right? On the one hand, it's like, I mean, you know, and I'll admit when I was in New York, right, which is Democratic controlled, right? And not to say that these motherfuckers aren't villains, right? But I feel this more acutely now that I moved here where I'm kind of like, man, I know that this is bullshit. But at the same time, my mom lives here and you have literal neo-confederates, right? And this is not even to say that Stacey Abrams, God, I'm probably, people are probably going to be like hot take here. But dude, I don't, I don't even believe that Stacey Abrams would be, let's say more materially better, right? Like, like, um, dramatically than Brian Kemp, right? I really don't believe that. I think I could say that freely. I don't believe it. At the same time, would I vote for, for governor? Because I want like that Neil Confederate to get the fuck out of office. Sure. Right. It's like depending on. And I mean, I think that it's just like you're saying, Jamie, it's kind of like, yeah, but like, does it aren't them? Isn't the Democratic Party like equally as equally harmful to black and brown people in the working class as the Republican Party? Aren't they sort of the gateway drug to fascism? Is this not true? But then what am I supposed to do living in the South? You know what I'm saying? Which is comprised of majority, like, poor working class black people. Like, I'm like, Jesus, man. Like, I don't know, man. I guess if you live in a northern state, it feels a lot like I'm not, I'm not saying about you, Jamie, but I think like living in a northern state, it feels a lot easier to write to be like kind of like reconcile that in your brain. But then here I'm like, shit, dude, like these people are literally like Nazis, man. They're like Klansmen, dude. But it also I don't know. It's uh, not a good vibe. It's not a good vibe, man. I would rather not have to make the decision between the shiniest of two turds, you know what I'm saying? Or as Malcolm yeah. X said, the wolf and the fox. I would rather not have to make that decision, you know? Yeah, well, maybe we don't. Yeah, I don't think we do, and I don't think most people should have to. I definitely don't, man. <sighs> oh, dude. Wow, I was really hoping to leave this on, like, a positive note. Um, <laughs> nah, the maybe posi- maybe let's, let's plug some things and then talk about love in the yeah. bonus yeah the you want to do okay. that yeah hell yeah yeah all right cool do you have anything to plug aaron um no just uh people just check out uh, my twitter's paradoomer and check out the trillbillies and check out my uh, substack space and light and um yeah i think uh i think that's all i got to plug strong recommend for all of those things yes. from me yes me your friend <laughs> who whose opinion you trust on everything um i also have a plug i i would like to plug the antifada patreon patreon.com slash the antifada br valentine as well as my new show everybody loves communism the leftist history and theory podcast where we do the reading so you don't have to started it with aaron here aaron had to go now i do it with my friend jorge Maybe Aaron will come back someday. I don't know. Yeah. But you can find it at fans.fm slash everybody loves communism. We also made a Patreon. Patreon.com slash everybody loves communism if that's what you prefer to use. Um, or just type it in wherever you get your podcasts and you'll get the free episodes. But we also have some uh, some bonus content now for patrons. Uh, most, most of which so far is our series Cultural Marxism where we talk about pop culture movies tv whatnot we just released a new one super fun with our friend leslie lee the third we talk about being the ricardos very bad boring movie do not watch it but listen to the podcast about it because that'll be 
way more entertaining. I not to toot my own horn. I mean, it's a low bar, but if you've already been forced to watch the movie, you can definitely, um, you can definitely make the most of it by listening to our podcast. Cause I feel like we had some takes that you may, uh, you may agree with. Uh, and, and, uh, yeah, just be our Valentine. That's all I was going to say. Be our, be our collective <laughs> our Valentine's collective and give us, give us money, give us treats. Uh, I wanted to say too. Uh, I want to say too that Jamie, we're uh, we're actually technically already um, sort of um, co-hosts, kind of on another podcast, uh, Struggle Session. You mentioned Leslie Lee the Third. Um, also wanted to plug that I'm uh, the new comics correspondent for Struggle Session. So, uh, oh hell yeah, hell yeah, I'm the Alan Moore correspondent. So I've recorded um, one episode, um, not an Alan Moore work, uh, Kingdom Come. Um, by Alex Ross and Mark Wade, and then uh, we uh, recorded another episode uh, just over the weekend about uh, Alan Moore's proposal for a similar uh, story that end up didn't end up getting made. So uh, people look out for that and check out Struggle Session too. So, uh, Hell yeah, hello. do all of those things. And now we're gonna try something a little unusual um, in the bonus segment. I did. I said, look, it's Valentine's Day. Gotta gotta pull some themed content out of my ass send us your relationship questions and somebody did so we're gonna take a look at that and see if we can help behind the paywall so stay tuned for more from me and Aaron Now crawl your head in that noose You wind up dead on the noose